0: Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be with you. Uh, John and Kim are actually at an extended family function today. So we get to, I get to open the Word with you uh, together this morning. And I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. How many of you have um, had some idea of what your life was going to be like and somewhere down the road you look back and you said, What happened? This is not the life that I envisioned for myself. Right, that's every one of us, right? Uh, for me, I, uh, I, I kind of, well, I was saved as a young child. I went to camp as a teenager, and I felt God call me into ministry. And I began to, even from uh, like a high schooler, start to work towards. Um, that goal of of being in ministry and what that might look like and I thought that that would be uh, in missions and so I went to Bible college and I graduated Bible college with uh, a degree in cross-cultural ministry and looking to go on the field and then I married Denise and and started working for Foursquare Missions and so it was missions focused and and we actually started a dialogue for a while of of going and moving to Malaysia And we were going to be full-time on-the-field missionaries in Malaysia. And so we sold just about everything we had, including the truck that I so dearly loved. And we moved to Park to live with Denise's family for a while while we saved and got our house in order to be able to move to the field. And then God did something that I did not approve of. That's me, and if it keeps happening, I'll have to switch. Yeah, okay. So let me, let me go ahead and switch mics real quick here. Um, what God did that I didn't like so much was that he changed the plan. And I thought, I'm going to hold on to this just in case, and then if it goes, keeps popping, then I'll, I'll switch over. Okay. <laughs> well, that, was pretty, that was pretty clear, wasn't it? So God switched the plan on me. And instead of going to the field, we sensed the Holy Spirit saying, stay here, plant roots. And so we moved out and we got our own place. And 13 years later, here we are, still in Simi Valley. And this has been one of the most fulfilling and incredible times of ministry and of learning and, and of just experiencing God. And so, But we all have those experiences where the, sometimes our vision for what life was supposed to be didn't quite happen that way, right? And it's because when we project into the future, we don't usually project crisis. We don't project hurt and pain. We don't pro- pro- project losing a job. We don't project those things that, that shape us along the way. We only project the, the high points that we want to see happen. And so we look back. And this is why we have midlife crises. As people kind of look back and say, like, where? What is my life? Like, what happened? This is why people become disillusioned with life. And the, the reality is, is that our vision for life doesn't always happen the way that we want it to. In fact, it very rarely, if ever, happens that way. Well, listen, we've been in a series called Uncivilized, and we've been walking through the book of James, and James has been hammering us... <laughs> With how we live out our Christian walk and our Christian lives. And this morning, we're going to continue that series and we're going to talk about uh, James chapter 4, where he starts to discuss the vision for our lives and how we view our lives. So if you have a way to access the scriptures this morning, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to James chapter 4 and we're going to read that in a moment. But let me go ahead and pray as we open. Uh, our word together Lord God I just simply ask that during these next few moments you would open our ears and open our hearts Lord God that that, those are kind of cliche phrases but they have such deep meaning and, and profoundness to them because if we do that we know that you're faithful to deposit something of your Holy Spirit inside of us that challenges us that doesn't leave us the same and so, Lord God, we open ourselves to that this morning as we open your word. Amen. So let's go ahead and read that uh, together. And, and you can follow along as I read in James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. It says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go uh, to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. All right, now we're going to kind of walk through this passage together and, and kind of take a look at our own lives. But first, a little bit of background. So James is talking to a group of people who um, there was a very specific scenario here. There was a vision that they had for their lives that they see an opportunity in another city. And so they're going to capitalize on that opportunity. They're going to go there for going to take a year and have, carry on business and make money. And so in our capitalist thinking, that sounds like a great plan, right? There's an opportunity, there's a need, let's go and let's do it. So James is talking to a group of intelligent people. Well, I think we're intelligent people. In fact, we're from one of the nations that has the greatest educational system in the world. We're, ed- we're, we're pretty educated and intelligent. He's talking to a group of people who are, are industrious. They're entrepreneurs. They're ready to move out and, and do something. Well, well, we come from a nation that has, is the land of opportunity. We have all the opportunity uh, at our disposal that we want to, to do the things that we want. And he's talking to a group of people who are influential. He's talking to business people. Who make an impact in the in the culture and in the society in which they do business? Well, listen, we are an influential people. We come from an influential nation. My point here is that James, though he's describing a specific scenario, he's talking to us right where we're at today. He's talking to you and I. He's describing a scenario that could very well describe any one of our lives, that that we could carry on this type of vision for our lives and so he gets into this specific scenario and he gives us a little bit of context and and and, an idea for this vision but to me that vision of going to another country or i mean another city and carry on business to make money to be comfortable sounds a little bit like the american dream right it sounds a little bit like like the the comfort and the values of our society that would value money and would value um, our ingenuity maybe more than we value our own faith. And James is, he's going to kind of hammer these these people. And we're going to walk through that a little bit. But he asks them, he starts by challenging them, by by asking this key question. And this, we've all got to ask ourselves this, and we're going to unpack this. But he says, what is your life? That's a fun question isn't it think about that for a second what is your life that's one of the big the big questions of life is is what is your life what am I about what is my life supposed to be about why am I here and the way that we answer that question reveals a lot it reveals your value system it reveals your priorities it reveals your faith system sometimes That is a huge question. And so James is trying to get us to see uh, the vision of our life from a different perspective, not from the perspective of this scenario that he's describing of go and and I'm going to just, I'm going to go and carry on business and I've got a plan, I've got got it all planned out, it's going to work out. He's saying, hold on, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. There's a different vision for your life than what you have for your own life. And so let's, I want to start off by just kind of checking out some of the results of what happens when we have our own vision for our lives. My vision for my life. Now, this, when we have my vision, when I have my vision for my life, it kind of follows the scenario or the the philosophy that life is what you make of it, right? Life is what you make of it. So go out there and make something great of yourself and change the world. Okay, well, that's not bad, but maybe it's a little incomplete. In fact, the first point here, it will show how incomplete that can be. See, my vision for my life leads to the illusion that, my, that the life I create really matters. That the life that I can manufacture and orchestrate, the, the life that I can create on my own, that it would have meaning. It doesn't have any meaning. <laughs> In fact, James, uh, or, yeah, James calls it a, a mist. That it's just a mist. You know, I I want to illustrate this for you. I was trying to think uh, what's a way to to illustrate, um, you know, kind of creating your own little world. And um, so I I came up with this. Take a look at the screens and see if this kind of illustrates this idea. All right, you get the idea. And who doesn't love a good cat video, right? You get the idea that that could go on for a long time, just living in their own little world. Now, I love cat videos because cats are so stupid. And I can say that because I'm a cat owner. And sometimes I wonder what world our, our cat is in. But, you know, we, we do the same thing. We go round and round. We create this, this false world this false identity and then we just live there we just interact with that and we find our meaning there and James is saying look that world that you create it's false it doesn't matter there's a greater reality to life than what we can manufacture and what we can create and so in verse 14 James says you are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes isn't that a lovely thought, that your life is just a mist? Congratulations, you're a mist. Well, the idea there is that the morning mist, you know, it, it comes, you wake up in the morning, and it's all misty, and as soon as the, the sun breaks free from the clouds, boom, it's gone. It dries up. The mist is gone. We only have a short time in this life, and we can create a, our own kind of manufactured life and our own vision for what that should be like, or we can embrace God's vision for our life and actually give it meaning and profound significance. Well, James uh, is saying that my vision for my life is is just an illusion of meaning. It doesn't really have substance when it's grounded in me. Secondly, my vision for my life leads to being self-centered and arrogant. That's what it does. It's our nature. Look at James uh, verse, uh, chapter 4 there in verse 16. He says, As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So that same scenario, these guys, the, these business people that were going to go and, and, and they've got this plan all laid out and they're going to make all this money and they're so confident in that that they start to boast in it that there's an arrogance because they've got it all figured out. And James is saying, hold, hold on a second. Wait a second. When my life becomes about my vision, who's at the center? You see, there's not a lot of room for Jesus in my life when I'm the one calling the shots. When I'm the one that's unfolding the vision of my life, it really crowds Jesus out. I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and we hadn't talked in, in, in quite a while. And he called me uh, on the phone the other day, and, and we talked for probably five minutes. And I was astounded how in the course of that short conversation of five minutes, how he very blatantly worked into the conversation, how much money he was now making, how he was spending that money, and how proud of it that he was that he was that he had that money. And I just I hung up, and I was just kind of grieved. I was like, man, what's happened? He's gone off the tracks. He's so—I couldn't believe the, the arrogance that that was, like, the point of the conversation. Like, that was why he called, was to kind of, like, display that and, and boast in that. And I thought, man, he's missing it. And, and, uh, and we do that in different ways. When we become the center, we do it with almost without even knowing he had no idea it was like like he like it just came out of him and and we do that when when we're at the center we are what everybody sees whether we try to hide it or not whether we try to mask it in in spirituality or not the 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 world in us comes out when we're at the center and Jesus isn't and i was I was grieved by that, but it happens, and I have to, I have to ask myself, is, is that how does that happen in my life? Where has that happened in my life? That, that my vision for my life has led to a, a self-centeredness and an arrogance. And James actually, uh, he describes this as actually ev- being evil. He calls it evil. That's a pretty strong word that he would correct them, uh, that it's not just pointless, It's evil. Thirdly, my vision for my life leads to anxiety. It leads to anxiety. When I'm the center of my life and I'm uh, unfolding my plan for my life, then I have to ensure that that's going to take place correctly. I have to guard against anything that could come from the outside and, and take me off the rails of my plan for my life. And so there's a lot of anxiety in that. There's a lot of fear that comes in that, of, of living up to a certain standard, living up to my own standard maybe. And the way that sometimes we, we address this is with insurance. Now, we've got to have insurance in life for different things, but we insure everything. I can't believe it. I went and looked at some of the different types of insurance. I want to read you the list of insurance I found, okay? Okay. So here's some of the the insurances that, that we have in our lives to protect us from going off the rails. So we have health insurance, okay, that's good. Auto insurance, life insurance, dental insurance, travel insurance, homeowners insurance, unemployment insurance, flood insurance, earthquake insurance. Those are typicals, right? Those are the typical ones. Okay, but what about um, long-term care insurance? We have extended warranties that we purchase. You can get uh, rental car insurance. You can get insurance on your your mobile phone. You can get pet insurance. I'm sorry, but pet insurance. (laughs) You can get your artwork insured. You can, listen to this, you can get wedding insurance now. If your fiancé decides to skip out, you're not held with the bill. You can, seriously, you can, you can have kidnap and ransom insurance. How about that? You can have twins insurance. In case one extra pops out, you don't have to cover the expenses for that second one. It's crazy. Stars, uh, stars and celebrities get all kinds of crazy insurance. I, I thought some of these were funny. Uh, America Ferreira, who was the star of Ugly Betty, at one point she had her smile insured for $10 million. Wow. Troy Polamalu, who is an NFL star, he, he's famous for his hair flowing out of his helmet. Well, that hair gets him lots of endorsement deals, and that hair was insured for a $1 million for hair. I would never get a haircut. Heidi Klum's legs were insured for $2.2 million. There's a, a guy named Gennaro Pelliccia, who was a coffee taster, like the premier coffee taster, and his tongue was insured for $14 million. One more, one more that takes the cake. You guys know David Beckham, the soccer star. His legs were insured for $77 million. For that kind of money, I would want someone to go Tanya Harding on me. I'd be like, I'm cashing in. I don't need to walk again. I'll take the money. Listen to listen to a mo- for a moment to Matthew chapter 6, and we find that the antidote to this. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? You know, we just got through a a few weeks of the Discipleship Essentials class, and Pastor John uh, actually used this verse during the teaching, and he said this. He said, when was the last time you saw a stressed-out bird? Think about that for a second. Birds don't have anxiety. Because they know there's going to be provision. There's going to be enough food. They're going to have what they need. And, and God, is, God tells us, when your vision for your life is yours, you're going to have to care for all of your own needs and make sure you're covered. But when it's God's vision for your life, He takes care of His children. You don't have to have that anxiety anymore that can creep in and dominate your life. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that refreshing? That we can have a different kind of vision for our life. That we can have God's vision for our life. That is a very, very different kind of a vision. Now that type of vision, when I say God's vision for my life is going to be what I live in, that's a different philosophy of life than my life is what I make of it. That philosophy of life is I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. God owns me because of the debt that he paid on my behalf. My life is his for him to do with what he wants. And so I accept the vision that God has, the invitation from God to participate in the life that he's called me to. Let's take a look at that for a moment. When when my vision for my life doesn't work, and I and I and I turn to God, God has an incredible vision for my life. First first off, I, I want to just dive into just for a second into God's will. God's will that that is His vision for our life that we would live out His will. Now His will can be we we think that that's like a tricky thing. In fact, sometimes that kind of freaks us out, like. There's a a heaviness to, oh, we've got to live by God's will. We've got to live God's will. But just for a moment, I want to kind of barrage you, if I can, with a few scriptures that describe for you God's will. Because it's very clear. Scripture unfolds God's will in a very clear way that doesn't have to be tricky to us. So listen to this. In Matthew 22... Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, like it, is love your neighbor as yourself. God's will for your life is that you love him. God's will for your life is that you love the people around you. The people that are the outcasts even. The other who are not like you. In fact, that's the point of Luke chapter 10, when Jesus is describing the good Samaritan. He says in chapter or in verse 36, "Which of these three do you think was a good neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers?" The expert of the law replied, "The one who had mercy on him." And Jesus told the expert of the law, "Go and do likewise." The will of our God is that we would go and do likewise, that we would show mercy to the outsiders, that we would be welcoming and hospitable to those who are not like us, who are not saved by God. Isaiah chapter 61 describes what Jesus came for and his mission and and his will. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort those who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. What's God's will to us? God's will is that we are to proclaim good news. Not just recite scripture verses to people, but literally be the answer to people's lives. To be good news to them. Let me give you just a couple more. Acts 1.8, we know that's a very familiar verse. It says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses all over the world. God's will for you is that you are his witness, that you display his splendor to the world. And lastly, Matthew 28, 19 is a familiar one. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. The will of God for your life is that you go and make disciples, that you demonstrate for people how to follow the ways of Jesus. That's what it means to make a disciple. Look, this isn't rocket science. It's right here in God's Word. He says, if you want to live a different way, if you want to live for my vision for your life, here's what I envision your life being like. Here's the invitation to you. I envision your life being part of the grand narrative that I have been weaving throughout all of history to reconcile the world back to me. God wants to use that little bit of time that you have in your life, that, that little bit of mist to be part of this grand scheme of the gospel unfolding. Now that is a far different vision for your life than I'm going to go to the city next door and I'm going to go there for a year and set up a shop and make some money and be comfortable. That is a, that is a vision that perishes. That is an, a, a, an illusion That doesn't matter. That God says, I have so much more for you. Your life can be marked by profound impact. And that's what I desire for you. So my life, my life is not my own. It, It has been bought. It's been purchased by Jesus on the cross. And so God's vision for my life, number one, it leads to real security. It leads to real security that I don't have to depend on my own security that creates this anxiety that I can actually depend on God to provide for me. We read about that little bird not being stressed out, right? Well, Matthew 6 continues and in verse 31 it says, So do you not, uh, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans are the ones who run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's saying, he's saying, look, the pagans are the ones who run after their own vision for life. They're the ones that try to clamor to create security for themselves. When you're living the unfolding vision that God has for your life, there's true security because He knows what you need. He provides for those things. And so that frees you to be able to focus on His kingdom and on His righteousness. Now, I've been trying to, I've been trying to live this out. And I've been really challenged with the concept of being present and just hearing from the Holy Spirit how to be present and, and where He's at work in my life, rather than worrying about tomorrow, being present with how He's at work today in my, in my situation now. Now, that's hard for me because uh, I, I have defaulted to kind of planning for the future. And I don't know if you're like me and you, you like to plan and have things planned out, um, but, but I, you know, even my, I think through my education, my education was all about planning for this future thing that was going to happen. And, and, and everything that I've done was, was for the future that God was going to do. And I had mentors so they could speak into me so that I could develop so that God could use me for the future. I went and got my master's degree. And, and the whole purpose was that I would have this knowledge base and material to use in the future. And I went to school with guys who were in ministry, and they were taking that stuff and translating it right into where they were at, and it had profound impact because they didn't see it as the future. They saw it as, this is what God's speaking to me now. And so I tend to be a guy who has to take my focus off of the future and say, God, what are you doing right now? Where is your Holy Spirit at work in me right now, in my surroundings, in the relationships that I have, in the neighbors next door to me? What are you doing right now that I can be part of the unfolding vision that you have of my life? You see, we can trust in God to take care of those things. Secondly, God's vision for my life leads to real purpose. Real purpose. James 4.15 says, Instead, you ought to say, He's saying it to this group that took off. He's saying, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, we talked about the Lord's will, but the Lord's will gives us purpose in our lives. That we don't have to just be that mist that vanishes and it was for us. Look, we have maybe, what, maybe 90 years, if we're lucky, on this planet before we go to see the Lord. And we can spend those 90 years investing in our legacy, in history, or we can invest those in making an impact for God's eternity. See, God is saying, I want you to have real impact. You don't have to be like the cat in the mirror going round and round. Isn't that great? You're not a cat in a mirror. That's a a word from God for you today. God's plan for your life is that he says look I have a vision for your life that is profound because it's about my gospel being preached throughout history to reconcile people this world that so desperately needs him back to God and that's what we get to be a part of that's what we get to live our lives for well third God's vision for my life leads to real humility Now, placing God at the center of your life, this is tough. (laughs) This is a hard one. It requires a humility. It requires us to get over ourselves. It requires us to get over the vision that we had for our lives. In fact, before I wanted to go into ministry, I was dead set on becoming a broadcaster. I wanted to be in radio or television somehow doing, uh, doing broadcasting. And I had to get over that. We all have our little visions for life that we've had to surrender to the Lord in order to say, okay, God, use me the way you want to use me. Use me in your kingdom by your agenda, not my own. Not me orchestrating and pulling the strings, but you doing it. You see, we've been talking a lot as a church over the last couple years even about mission and about incarnation, about representing Christ where we're at. We've been talking, we've been on this journey together of discovering how we live out, how we make disciples, how we put this into practice. But what I have had to wrestle with and grapple with, and maybe you're here too, is that while I know the language, I have the vocabulary, I have the knowledge of mission, I know the scripture, and I know the, how I'm supposed to live my life, the practices of letting God's vision unfold in my life in a real way that makes an impact. It's really hard. That's the whole point of James. The book of James, he's he's trying to challenge people to say, look, your faith without your works is dead. We're not saved by works, but, but if you don't have any works, then you're not living by God's vision because you're not representing Him to the world that needs you. And so... God has a different vision for our lives, but it requires a humility and even a brokenness that says, God, I'm going to strip away, I'm going to even put to death those things that used to define my life and my vision so that I can bra- embrace all that you have for me. Now, here's, here's an example of how this plays out. For me, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was at First Honda getting my oil changed, and I was reading a book, and it was taking a while, and so I was really getting into this book. Have you ever read a book where you're, like, so into it that you kind of nothing else is, you know, everything else is the peripheral. You don't, like, see anything else that's going on. The music kind of faded. So I'm, I'm into this book, and this guy sits down next to me, this, uh, this Indian gentleman sits next to me, and he's there. he sits for maybe 30 seconds before he turns to me, and he starts asking me about his tires, and he's telling me like they're telling me I need new tires, but my tires are only six months old. Do you, how much tread do I need in my tires? And he's got all these questions about tires, and I'm like, I don't, I'm not the tire guy. I I don't know. I I bring my car in when they say to, and that's about it. So he's asking me all these questions, about, and I just want to get back to my book. I just. I'm like, I don't know, I don't have your solution or your answer, so let me read my book. I didn't say that to him, but I very politely, you know how you give people social cues like, okay, I'm done talking to you now. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm not kidding you, three different times I tried to shut this conversation down. I tried to give this guy the, like, the, the, the holy shove. Like, okay, do your thing, and I'm going to do mine now. And he just kept talking. He, just, he wouldn't let me off the hook. He just kept talking to me. And so it took me, the third, after the third time, the Holy Spirit got my attention. And he's like, he's like, John, this is an opportunity. And now I have been fascinated by the Indian culture in Simi Valley. I, I'm fascinated when I, especially on the east end here, there tend to, to be more uh, Indian uh, uh, little communities. And I sometimes, I'll drive by, I'll see them playing cricket in the soccer field now, uh, and, the, and in the softball fields. I, I'm a baseball fan, and it's, it's just similar enough to be really confusing. And I don't get cricket at all. And so I've wanted to learn cricket. So standing or sitting in front of me is a, an Indian gentleman who plays cricket. And I said, I, I heard the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I, I've got to reach out to this guy. I've got to kind of change my approach. So I did. I, I said, you know, I've really been fascinated with your culture, and, and I see you guys playing cricket sometimes. And he goes, he's like, his eyes lit up. He's like, oh, no kidding. I play cricket. And he was from the Valley, but he plays here in Simi Valley. And so I said, oh, that's awesome. Would you, would you explain to me this crazy game of cricket? And so he starts to describe it, and he's he got a little ways in, and he could see the confusion on my face. And he said, well, you know what? The best way is just to come and watch it. I've got a match tomorrow if you want to come. And I said, absolutely, I'll be there. We exchanged cell phone numbers, and he gave me the info. And the next day, I went to um, uh, I went to the duck park and with Isaiah, and I watched uh, them play cricket. And he came and talked to me. He introduced me to his whole group of friends, and I... Uh, All these relationships that he has and we've you know, we've exchanged info and we're trying to get together for dinner now to hang out together And this happened because the holy spirit shook me and said look Your vision for your life is to read that book My vision for your life is to reach into a community that needs the gospel listen We've, we've got to break out of that mentality sometimes to see the spontaneous things that the Holy Spirit is doing around us and to be part of God's mission, God's vision for our lives. This is, this is fun stuff. It's an adventure with God. Matthew 16 says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, here's what they've got to do. They must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We've got to be able to get over ourselves and put to death the vision that we had, and that's hard. That is really hard. But that's the place that God calls us to go to live out who he's called us to be. Now, I want to close by just asking you um, how you're going to respond to this. Because um, it's easy to respond and go and say, I know that that is what I want in my life. I know that that is what God has called me to. But the whole point of James is calling us to move to a point of action. That's the whole thing that James is doing here. He's saying, you've got to picture your life differently And now you've got to do something with that. And so I want to lovingly challenge you that it's not okay to not do anything with this. We have to take action. And in James 4.17, he ends this little passage by saying, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it it's actually sin for them. He's not saying if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't, know it he says and doesn't do it we can't just know it we've got to do it and put this into practice and so how do we do that how do we live differently how do we embrace god's vision for our lives instead of our own i think that has something to do with our value system it has something to do with uh, uh, organizing our schedule and freeing up space You know, uh, what we're doing with worship during these few weeks where we're stripping things down, it even has to do with that, of simplifying so that we can get out of the the routines that we're in and can truly experience God in a powerful way, God's vision for your life. Maybe it includes uh, a different way to view third space, that the interactions you have outside of church, you view that differently, like that space in First auto, getting your oil changed. That God can do something there. And we view that time differently. Maybe it's being part of a community group where you're challenged to take some of the first steps of mission. Or being in an LTG where you get accountability for living this out. I don't know. All of us are probably at different places. Some people, maybe for the first time today, you've heard that God does have a different vision for your life and that he is inviting you into this narrative of history, that you have purpose. But I, my guess is that the vast majority of us already know that. And the challenge for us is to figure out how we're actually going to live that, what we're actually going to do with that. I'm going to close with one quick um, just story to encourage you. Um, we've been wrestling... Uh, with this idea Denise and I have been wrestling with okay we want to live that spontaneity of encountering Jesus and living for him we also want that to be a planned rhythm of our lives and so I ripped this idea off one of my mentors who he does a thing in Kansas City called cornbread suppers cornbread suppers and Uh, Now, cornbread is not a thing out here. I know, like, who eats cornbread? I don't know. Cornbread's good when you have chili, I guess, but it's just not a thing. And so I was like, we got to do something different than cornbread. We're going to do guacamole. Now, that's a California. So Denise and I are doing guacamole nights. And so what I did is uh, I went on the Nextdoor app, which is a little community neighborhood app for people, your neighbors, to connect I went on the Nextdoor app, and I just posted simply, hey, would anybody be interested in this? Would, would anybody want to get together uh, over some guacamole and some chips and with no agenda, the only agenda is to laugh, to hang out, and get to know your neighbors? Uh, you, can bring, uh, you can bring a bottle, a dish, or nothing at all. You can invite someone or come by yourself, and there's no need to RSVP. Would anybody be interested? And I got about 10 people back, just boom, right off the bat, replies, hitting the inbox, saying that's something that we would love to do. We actually live in a culture that desires community. And so this uh, last Monday, Denise and I hosted our first guacamole nights in our home, and we welcomed nine neighbors into our house, and we talked to them for two hours about life, about who they are, and just got to know people. In fact, I got to know the lady next door in, in the building next door to me. Her husband is going through stage four kidney cancer. And she said, man, it would be so helpful if I just had somebody that, that could lift the groceries out of the car for me. And I said, I'm there for you. I'll, I'll help you with that. It's amazing like, when we open ourselves up to what am I going to do to live this out and just get creative with that to allow God to open up space for relationship to happen so that you can be the people of mission that he's called us to be. That's living for God's vision in your life. That's God's vision for your life, that we can do this, that he invites you into this amazing journey of joining him in what he's been at work doing throughout all of eternity and all of history. And we get to play that key role right now. What are we going to do with that? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, this is a convicting message for me because this is what I'm walking through. Lord, I ask that in my life, you would continue to challenge the places of my life where, where I would tend to be content knowing the vocabulary or knowing the scripture, but Lord, being challenged to actually live that out. God, I pray that where I have embraced uh, my vision for my life and, and even in the middle of tr- seeking you, I've, I've pulled in from culture a little piece of my vision or I've pulled in from, from television or from my neighbors a little piece back of, of my vision for my life. Lord, I want to put those things to death. And Lord, we pray that you would use us as your people that we would be able to join you in that invitation to live your vision for our lives. Lord, help us to to make the shift in our minds and our hearts, but Lord, help us to make the shift in our schedules and in our time and in our actions and in our conversations with people. Lord, let us be a people who do it. We Thank you, Lord, for your vision over our lives and over this church. In Jesus' name, amen.